0: Now, I'm not against giving. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not against it at all. I am for giving from a, from a heart that wants to give, a willing heart. I'm for that, and God is for that, and that is acceptable to God, and that is what God wants. Amen. He, wa- he doesn't want you to give um, grudgingly, but He wants you to give with joy in your heart. Amen. So many times we don't understand what the Scripture says in first Cor- or Second Corinthians where it says that God loves a cheerful giver. Um, the correct interpretation of that verse or the correct translation would be God loves cheerful giving. Not a cheerful giver, for God loves all of man. Because God gave His Son to the world We loved the whole world. So, what I try to say is God loves the way in which you give if you give without giving grudgingly. I mean, it's like my kids. I, I, I love all of them equally. And if they do something for me, I love it when they do it with joy in their heart. And that's what, what, when it comes to giving. God loves it when you can do it with joy in your heart. So when fear is the motivator, God doesn't like that. God doesn't want that. You know, so um, I'm for giving. I'm not against it. I'm for it. I mean, we cannot pay this place if people don't give. Uh, we drive here, we use fuel, whatever, because people give. So uh, we're not against giving. So just know that maybe you're from another church, you're visiting, and you might think, I'm saying giving is a sin. Giving is not a sin. Giving is an outflow of the very nature of God. If you want to know how must I know how much must I give or where must I give it's very easy. The Bible says God will work in you both to will and to do according to His good plan and purpose. So where do you want to give and what do you want to give? That's as simple as that. Amen. And some people say but Beth, you're never going to get your bills paid that way. Maybe I shouldn't then have that bill. You know? So, uh, uh, pay what, what you can afford, without manipulating and controlling people. Amen. And whatever people give out of the generosity in their hearts, that we use. Hallelujah. So, just to get back to Abraham. You know, Abraham was paying a tithe um, to, to Melchizedek. And uh, the tithe that Abraham paid was not an indication of what we must do in the New Testament, as pertaining to, to giving. Um, Abraham lived you know in those days and yesterday or was it yesterday I preached it to um, to a lot of people from from villages in Zambia and pastors in small villages and whatever at Francis' conference um, in Hermanus so it was very easy for me to explain it to them in the in, in, in the days of Abraham people lived in villages the way we have it today in Africa you know like They've got their little huts or houses or whatever with their cattle and their sheep and their small farming. They didn't have these big tractors we have today. They, they, they could only plant so much. by uh, with the, and, and most of the time they would have, the rich would have some slaves working for them and most of the time it would be, be a family business, you know. And they would work and they lived in these small villages and a very rich guy would have 300 people working for him. A very, very, very big guy like, like Abram did. And he would have his own little army to protect his goods and those type of things. And um, Abraham lived in a certain village. And uh, there was kings of these different villages. So there was a village called, and a place with a town called Sodom. And there was a place called uh, uh, Salem, Salem, where we get Jerusalem from. And they had their different kings. So, uh, I mean, Salem had a king. And that king uh, was also the priest of God called uh, Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom, he had a certain name. He, he was a king of his village. And, and Abraham lived in another village. I just forgot the name of that village. I'm just going to study it up. But he lived in another village. And um, he had a king over him. Now the Babylon, Babylonian tax system uh, demanded 10% tax of whatever you earned to the king of your village. So... Um, It it was not something that came God said you must honor the high priest That's not what it was It was a tax system of that time You can go and search it on the internet You will find it Uh, Tithing has been paid long before Abraham People tithed um, To to, to the Babylonian system Now the reason why they did that was um, If you have a village And especially if you would go to war Of the spoils of war you had to pay definitely pay 10%. There was no argument about that. Because if you had an army and you lived in a village and you could conquer another king and you're not willing to pay homage to your king by bringing the tithe, it means that you don't honor him and you can overthrow his kingdom or, he, or, or that village. So that's why they paid the tithe. And even if you go and read First Kings chapter 8, You will see that the prophet comes to Israel and said to them, why do you want Saul as a king? If you want a king, you have to pay a tithe to him. Why do you want a king? Well, it's actually saying, listen, look at how you're going to suffer by having a king that you have to pay a tithe to. So, um, where did the prophet get that? Because that was the law of that time. You've got a king, he's going to have an army, he's going to take your daughters, that's even what the prophet said, he's going to take your daughters and they're going to work for the king. Now that means they're not going to work in your house. They're not going to be part of your family. The the king just comes and says, I want those, and he takes them, and they shall work for the king. In the same way, you shall pay a tithe to the king. So she said, don't have a king, because if you've got a king, you're going to pay this tithe system, don't, don't be part of it. Now to first Kings 8, we can clearly see this, this uh, tax system that was implemented between kings and their people. So, um, he, here Abram comes, and he makes war with Sidor Omer, uh, um, and he, he, he wins, and he gets back Lot, his family, and he comes back, and all of a sudden, here in the king's dale, that was the place where the kings waited where the, uh, w- when there was a war and the people came back where they gave the king his 10% in the king's day. So, here he comes back um, and he must now pay a, a, a 10% to his king of the village that he lives in to honor that king. But the king of Sodom comes and he says, man, just give me some of, just give me the people and you keep the goods. Then Abram says, man, I'll give you everything. Yeah, you, you, you take that. But before he gave it away, he did a wonderful thing. He took 10% and, I mean, in the Kingsdale, there came a king, his name was Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem. He was not even the king of where Abram lived. And then he paid so wonderful. He gave bread and wine to Abram. Then Abram was so blessed with what this king did because this king gave him a wonderful word and bread and wine. Then Abram said, I I declare you as my new king. And he gave him 10%. That was actually saying, I make you my king. Now, the fulfillment of that in the New Testament is not us giving money to the church. The fulfillment of that in the New Testament is in Romans 10, where it says, if you want uh, uh, for for us to receive salvation, you need to believe in your heart and confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth. And that is how we make Jesus our Lord. And that is the fulfillment or the the, the type and the shadow of what Abram did, declaring Melchizedek as his king. That's how simple it is. So, and we cannot say, because things happened in the Old Testament, um, or happened before the giving of the law between Adam and Moses, whatever happened there is grace. It is not grace. But the Bible states that grace came by Jesus Christ. So grace did not come by Abraham. You know, when we preach the gospel concerning finances, we can't preach the gospel according to Abraham. We must preach the gospel according to Jesus Christ. When we preach about financial increase, we can't preach the gospel according to the principles of farming. We must preach the gospel according to the principles of the cross and the obedience of Jesus on behalf of all of man. You know, I've I've seen it so many times, you know, when when it comes to sowing and reaping and those things, we use earthly principles to try and explain how spiritual things are going to work. And we say, if you sow like a farmer, he sows, he first prepares the ground, he looks for good ground. So you first look for good ground, the good church. Then you give to that church, and then you water the seed. And that is now praying over the seed, prophesying over the seed, expecting a harvest. You know, and all those things. And we, we preach the gospel of farming. Not the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Amen. I want to tell you, maybe you are, you are here, a visitor, maybe you, you say, man, I'm never going to come back, you know. <laughs> Just go with this. Whenever you read the Bible and you want to interpret Scripture, make sure that you ask yourself this question to make sure... Sh- to, to make sure you ask this so that you can be sure that what you believe will be the gospel. Ask yourself what I am about to say or what I believe how does it pertain to the fact that God became a human being and represented me, that he obeyed on my behalf, according to Romans 5, verse 19? So, God became a human being representing me. His name is Jesus. He obeyed every requirement there is to be as righteous as God is on my behalf. So if I want to preach any doctrine, be it on finances or whatever, let's test the the, the doctrine for instance that says, um, if you pay your tithe, then God is going to bless you. Okay, say that we get that now from a scripture in Malachi 3. And we want to see, is it the word of God? Ask yourself, Okay, I'm saying that I must give, then God will bless me. How does that pertain to God becoming a human being representing me? I must connect it to that. Then I say, oh my goodness, okay, Jesus obeyed the requirement there for me to be blessed. He obeyed on my behalf. And then he died. What does the death mean? The death means that He ended the man that was made righteous by His works. Okay, so that doesn't exist anymore. And then He was raised by the Holy Spirit, so that newness of life does not originate from my own ability or willpower, but it originates from the being of God and the Holy Spirit of God. So how does that pertain to my new doctrine that I've got that says, if I tithe, then God will bless me. It just means that my doctrine is not the Word of God. It is in the Scriptures, but it is not the Word. You must remember the Bible says that Jesus is the Word of God. So if you preach anything on finances, you must preach what Jesus did on the cross in the fact that He obeyed on our behalf and was resurrected into perfection, seated as a human being, representing me and you forevermore on the right hand of God, you need to preach that word pertaining to money, if you want the word of God in money. Otherwise you're not preaching the word, my friend. You're preaching scriptures. Jesus, let me give you a good example of how Jesus interprets scripture. scripture. There was a woman caught in the act of adultery, brought before Jesus. Then the Pharisees took the Scripture and said, The Scripture says that we need to stone her. But Jesus was called the Word of God. So, so the, the, the Scripture asked the Word of God, what, is, what shall we do with this woman that's caught in the very act? The Scripture inquired from the Word of God. Can you see it there? The Scripture asks the Word. Then Jesus which knew that He was the fulfillment of every word in the Old Testament, knew what to say to that woman, interpreting the very Scriptures they use in a correct way to set her free. He knew that all the Old Testament Scriptures was written as a type and a shadow of the real thing. So what was the, the, the verse that says, if somebody is caught in adultery, they must be stoned What was the spiritual interpretation of that verse? The spiritual interpretation of that verse was was very simple. That if we are married to Christ and we are going into adultery, fornicating with a law system, which is human effort and humanism, if we do that, then we will die. So Jesus knew that that was the fulfillment and that this woman didn't need to die. That He can now proclaim and say to her, I don't condemn you. That the Word of God does not condemn her as a person. But what God condemns is the system that says we fornicate with the law system instead of believing in Jesus Christ. Amen. You'll have to get the CD too. (laughs) just go and study that a bit. Amen. That it can settle into your mind. Hallelujah. So, when it, when it comes to finances, people, you give out of the, the freedom in your heart. If you want to give in this church, I mean, we've got something on the table there, you give out of the freedom in your heart. Amen. If you find you're giving with obligation, then we'll send you your money back. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, let's go to... Um, Bessel, how long have I preached there? Fifteen. Okay. There was somebody before the service that asked me to just say something about Israel. Um, and I would like to just speak a little bit about Israel, uh, just to start off with, with this. <clears throat> Maybe we can get a bit further into that later in the service. Uh, th- there's a very big, big move on television and in churches to, um, towards Israel. And favoring Israel as a nation. Now, I've got nothing, and I want to, I wanted to hear this, I've got nothing against the Jew, as what I've got nothing, in the same way as what I've got nothing against an Englishman, or a German, or an Afrikaner, or a Koza, or a Zulu, or a colored, doesn't matter. All people are the same. So when I speak and when I share this about Israel, please know that I'm not busy with anti-Semitism. I would just like to share the effect of the cross of Jesus Christ and what happened in Jesus Christ when it comes to the Jewish people. I believe the greatest act of anti-Semitism is busy happening today in the church where people ignorantly... Trying, uh, where the church are ignorantly trying to love Israel outside of preaching the gospel to them and saying that they are special to God because of their flesh. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Amen, Thank you, brother. Yes. Thank you, brother. They are, I, I want to tell you that Israel. And, and, and you, you, you will see on television all the time, I remember a while ago there was a television station that came and they, uh, I think it was about a year or two ago, they had a thing on, 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 on planting trees in Israel. And then, and then um, Jesus will come back one day and if you've, if you've donated $25 towards a tree... Then, when Jesus comes back, then there will be this wall around around this garden and your name will be there, so you will not be charged to go in and sit under the trees with Jesus. They received $25 million that way. That is? That's a tree gospel. That's not the, the, the gospel according to Jesus Christ. That's a tree gospel. So what happens there is, and now you see how absurd this is, but if you get people with big enough ministries, with an expensive enough suit to tell you that, and to twist some scriptures, um, and, and just testify about a miracle or two, you find people being caught into that thing. The greatest curse there can ever be, which was the original plan of Satan, was that man will relate to God on the basis of His flesh or His own blood. And if we go and we preach, to, to, we preach a message and we support a message that says that the Jewish people will be saved free from believing in Jesus. Or that, they've got, that they... You know, I, I, I listen I listened to people talk about um, Israel. They say that in the last times using out of the book of Revelation and some of the Old Testament prophets, that, I mean, all the Jews will go to Israel. Everybody will be there. I don't think everybody will go. This is my opinion. And there will always be one or two that's not going to move. And then, and, and then all the Gentiles are now going to go up there and serve the Jews. So what, what that actually means is that the, the, the Gentiles will be the inheritance of the Jewish people. So, what is preached is that God has got a special plan with Israel. He will save us and the saved Christians will then be the inheritance of the Jewish people and they will serve the Jews. So, you will forever be a slave of a Jew. Let me tell you, that's not the gospel. That is a lie. That is a big, big lie and that is anti-Semitism to the greatest degree. Listen. what Hitler did is not a drop in the bucket compared to this evil doctrine that says that God relates to Israel on the basis of their flesh. Because no man's flesh is accepted before God. No man. So in teaching that, if you can get people to believe that, and if the Jewish people can continue to believe that, they will be cursed to condemnation forevermore. It's one thing if a a Jewish person can be burnt to ashes by Hitler. That's bad. But if you want him to be in eternal destruction, tell him that he doesn't have to worry. He is a special people of God. His Messiah will still come someday. The Messiah for the Jewish people already came. There's a doctrine going out that says that that, that the Messiah, uh, Jesus that came for the Gentiles, he was not the Messiah of the Jews. I I, I think it's, um, Hosea 9 uh, clearly states, it says that your king, behold your king comes on a donkey. So they were waiting for the king to come. Then the king didn't come with a gold plated chariot, but he came on a donkey and they say this can never be our king. And they rejected Him. The Bible says He came unto His own. Not talking about the Gentiles, talking about the Jewish people. And they did not accept Him. But then it goes further and it says, and now it includes the Gentiles, but as many as accepted Him, to them gave He the right to be called the people of God. So who are the people of God today? The people of God are those who accepted Jesus Christ. Those are the people of God so let's not discriminate against a nation saying that you are born of the right blood group therefore you are the people of god you go to john chapter 1 verse 13 it clearly states that those are sons or people of uh, the people of god who are not born of blood nor the will of a man nor the will of the flesh so if you born from the right blood group if you are uh, uh, um, if if you are of the lineage of benjamin like Paul, he was, I mean, he was so proud in those days. You know, I am of Benjamin. Benjamin was the favoured son. You know? So, so I am I'm of him. Some of them were of Levi. Some of them, it, that is not what gives you a right to sonship. The people of God, Romans 2, the last verse says, Who is a Jew but he that is circumcised in heart? Amen. So, how can we throw all those scriptures away? What about the verse that says, In Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor any of those things. Amen. The enmity. What about the, the whole of Ephesians chapter 2? The whole of Ephesians chapter 2. The whole of Galatians. The whole, I mean, the meeting they had in Acts 15. The whole chapter of Acts 15. What about Acts 21? What about Colossians, Thessalonians, where it's all about this? No, where Paul says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. You're not special because you're a Gentile, and you're not special because you're a Jew. Amen. What? Who defines us is not what nation we're of, but who defines the Jewish people is Jesus. And Satan is so clever to try and twist the mind of Christians to say that God is blinding the eyes of the Jews. And one day, God will just now open their eyes. No, no, their eyes will be opened if you preach the gospel to them. And if they don't accept the gospel, do what the Bible says. Dust off your feet and go to the next guy. If you go to a Jew and you preach to him and he spits on you, you know, you say, God bless you, you dust off your shoes and you go on. That's the way it is. He, he has heard the gospel. He's heard the good news. But what happens is Christians believe that they, are, that they are not blessed of God. It is like I see many people with preachers. You know, if I can just, I remember when I went to TB Joshua in 1999. You know, you will find people changing In South Africa, they're like this, but when they're there, they're they're completely different. In South Africa, they will never pick up a chair and put it somewhere. But when they're there, man, they will serve there like a mad thing, because they want to get the attention of the man of God, so that the man of God can just give one drop of his anointing onto his head, so that he can feel closer to God. Now, the same principle is I see in the the heart of many church people because we think that if we honor Israel, then God will honor you. Let me tell you something, that God honors uh, us in the sacrifice of the Lamb. He honors the sacrifice, therefore He speaks good about us. It's not because we serve a certain nation. Love the Jew by preaching the gospel to Him. Don't hate the Jew by telling him his flesh is special, because that's a lie from the pit of hell. That is what, uh, uh, what Satan went and taught Adam and Eve, that you are what you do. You are special because of what you possess, not because of who God is. We say pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm, 20, Psalm 122. That was an Old Testament prayer. It's not a New Testament prayer where we should pray for the, for the peace of them. Listen, it is not our business to all the time pray for, uh, 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 against wars and those type of things. If you feel you want to pray for that, pray for that. Amen? I will also. There's times when I just feel an unction in my heart and I'll pray for something. But it's not our business to watch the news all the time and check what's going on in Israel and then interpret the Bible from what happens in the between Palestines and, and, and Israelites, the Bible is not interpreted from the perspective of the Jew, but it 's interpreted from the perspective of Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God. Amen. so let 's love the Jew enough to preach the gospel to him. And if he doesn 't want to hear, my friend, go to the next God. To me, there's no difference between a Muslim and a Jew. They're all in this under the law. No difference. Very same thing. They, they all believe in the Old Testament laws and they are very, they're fanatics about that. A lot of them. Most of the Jewish people today are atheists. They don't believe. We believe more in their traditions as Christians than what they believe in it. It's true, people. Now we need to wake up and, and not be sidetracked into something that is not of God. If he, this is the love of God. The Bible says, This is, it says, Love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love people? What is the love of God? The love of God was portrayed in this that He took the law out of the way. Ephesians 2 says that when the law was taken out of the way, the enmity that there was between Jew and Gentile was taken away. So, what made what brought enmity or division between Jew and Gentile? Only the law. If the law was not given, they wouldn't have felt special in any way. They are just all people. But when the law was there, there was enmity between these two groups of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. But then the Bible says, in Ephesians chapter 2, that God came and He took that law away and in so doing, He made out of the two one new man. So, uh, 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 even today, before anybody gets saved, there's only one type of man before God. There's no more Jew or Gentile before God, even if they believe or not believe. There's just one type of man before God. A man that needs to believe in Jesus and make use of the effect of the work of the cross. If you don't do that, my friend, you know, I'm sorry for you. If the the boat comes to save you, get on the boat. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, I hope that that helps. Um, There are so many verses in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 actually talks about the Jewish people um, and he likens them to Pharaoh. He likens the Jewish people to Pharaoh saying that Pharaoh's heart was hardened and, and when his heart was hardened then the power of God was seen by, by the Israelites and then they, they could believe in God. In the same way, it says there that the Jews was actually hardened by God. Putting them in the likeness of Pharaoh. Now the Jews complained and, and, and Peter's, uh, 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 Paul said, if these Jewish people They were complaining and say, how can God be angry with us if God hardened our hearts? You know, in in the old way of of seeing these things, making it difficult. Then he says, God forgives you that. And he he puts that behind him. But now, you can believe in Jesus and be saved. Amen. So, um, but I mean, we can can preach for many sessions and many Sundays on that. I don't want to spend all my time on that. But... um, I want you to know that every time you think a Jew is special because he's the people of God, there's two things you do. You stamp underfoot the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the first thing you do. You, t- you take a pen and draw a red line right through Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10. Thessalonians, you just draw a line right through it. That's what you do. You draw a line right through the whole book of James and the whole book of Hebrews. The whole book, from the first verse to the end. Everything. Because that's what those books are all about. Explaining that there's one new man. Amen. Just, well, I'm going to honour them, so I just draw a line right through it. So you decide what you then want to believe. You know, but we, we need to believe what is written here, which Jesus Christ came and it was, he inspired the Apostle Paul to write these things. Now then, there's another doctrine, and I just want to warn you against that this is a doctrine which is called uh, the dual doctrine, which believes that the gospel we believe is for us, but it's another gospel for the Jews. My goodness, man, you just know that's wrong. Amen. Paul says, uh, Paul says there are those that preach another gospel, not that there is another gospel. That's what he says. He Says there are those that preach another gospel. Not that there is another gospel. There's only one gospel. Because in those times, Peter, Peter tried to preach another gospel. The apostle Peter tried to preach another gospel. You know what Peter preached? Peter came and he was drawn away by, with James and those that were of James. Know what they did? They said that a, a Gentile, Jesus, that Jesus came for him and the promises can be part of his, and that he can be saved. They believe the Jews are saved by faith. But for the Gentile to be saved by faith, he needs to become a Jew. And that was to be circumcised. Then, then Paul came, and he was, he was uh, uh, eating, you know, with the Gentiles, and Peter knew what Paul believed, and then he was eating there with the Gentiles. Then just, just later on the same day, here comes those from James, and they're now going to report what Peter is doing. For you're not allowed to eat with a Gentile. That's what they believed in the church of Jerusalem. And we want to go back to the church, early church. Don't go there. That's bad news. You don't want to go there. They were so legalistic. Paul was the one with the light. So here, here Paul comes and he rebukes Peter in front of all of them. So there Peter was only with the, with the Jews and then after a while he calls he says, Peter, in front of everybody, I want to ask you something. Why are you telling the Gentiles to follow the customs of the Jews if you are following the customs of the Gentiles and you just ate with us? Now that's not a nice thing to do, you know. But that's what he did. And he rebuked Peter. He says, for he's not walking according to the truth. He was not walking according to the truth. Why? Because he was trying to get Christians to follow Jewish customs. Don't do that. Don't do that. Please, man. The money that you want to send, if if you want to help poor people in Israel that doesn't have food, poor Jews, helping them to, to get food, Give the money. Amen. But if you want to send money to rebuild the temple, my goodness. If you want to, if, 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 if there, are, there are preachers today preaching saying, if you send money to Israel to bless them or projects in Israel, there's a double blessing on that money. Grace preachers preaching that. Believing in the blessing saying that the 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 reason for the success of their great grace ministries are because they bless Israel. Believe what they preach, but when it comes to that you don't you don't believe that. That's wrong. That's not true. Man, take that money and go on holiday. That's better. It's really it's better. Better for your own belief system. Don't send money to somebody that sells you a little bit of water that comes from the Jordan River. Man. <laughs> that is wrong. Don't do that. Please. Take that money and help somebody in a squatter camp. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you don't know what church to give it to, give it to the Cancer Association. man, Or someplace that, that you feel in your heart. But don't, don't do that. Don't buy the special anointing oil that is pressed from olive trees from the Garden of Gethsemane. Don't do that. That is wrong. man. The best souvenir of the cross of Jesus Christ is you. Amen. It's you. Hallelujah. How long have I preached this? Okay, let's go to uh, First Peter. I'll we'll talk a little bit about holiness. <clears throat> Last night I had a call um, and, and somebody spoke to me about holiness in Afrikaans. Heilig Does anybody have an Afrikaans Bible here? Because in Afrikaans it says it so beautifully. Huh? Oh, hallelujah. It's like the gospel. You don't know what you've got. <laughs> I'm first going to read in Afrikaans, just for Afrikaans, guys. Um, and and uh, this can sound very contradicting to the gospel of grace. Uh first Peter. chapter 1. Let's read verse 15, and this is the way, most of the time it's preached, and, uh, and and this is why it brings uh, uh, confusion to people's minds, and condemnation to our hearts. It says, verse 15, Maar soos hy, wat julle geroep het, heilig is, moet julle ook in julle hele levenswandel heilig word. I said, as He is holy, you must now also become holy in everything you do. Now, I tell you, you and now, I mean, the, 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 this lady found me and um, she, she said to me, she believed in holiness. Now, I also believe in holiness, but we need to define holiness, Because, you, you know, some people believe it's not holy to wear makeup. They believe it's a sin. You say? Yeah, I'm very holy. I, I've never been wearing makeup. I can't say that. Once I was preaching and I tried to put makeup on men, but my eyes burned. I'll never do that, never do that again. So I said, they must, they must take me the way I am. Amen. <laughs> so, some people look very shocked. <laughs> man, you've been sponsoring ministries in the past where the preachers only wear makeup on TV. So don't worry. So, uh, so I mean, I mean the, and, and there are people that believe it is, um, it is unholy to wear, for a woman to wear pants. Now, that is a problem, man. Listen, please understand, but some women, if you don't wear makeup, you look unholy. You. It's better to wear makeup. Just put a little bit of glory on there. Yeah. Amen. So, 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 all of a sudden here, so I said to her, and, and, and I, I, I was very polite to her, I said, you know, we must just be very careful that we are not preaching our culture as holiness. Because our culture, and then we get church cultures, and we use that as holiness. And now it says here, we must become holy in our works the way He's holy. Now, what is holiness? Let's, let's just talk about holiness. Holiness means to be set apart for something. So, if, if I say, this car is holy Unto the work of the Lord. It means that I only use this car for the work of the Lord. So that car is holy. If I say this car is only used, or this bus at the school is only used to transport children to school from from uh, uh, from the hostel, but another bus is used to only used to transport them to uh, sport events, then the one, both of them are holy buses. That's the word holy, to be set apart for a specific purpose. So, when, when our works are holy, it means our works is set apart to only function in a certain system, which I'm going to explain now. So, it doesn't mean there that, you know, we receive Jesus now, hallelujah, we, we receive holiness and we received the washing of the blood. And now, we're now going to live according to all the, all the uh, prerequisites placed by the law. That's not what that verse means. Peter will never say that. Paul will never say that. And in his writings, you can really see, there was things that uh, Paul had a great influence on the life of Peter. You know, later on, where he started to write really great stuff. And even James, in the book of James, started to write wonderful grace messages in the book of James. It's just written in a difficult way, because it's written, uh, in a, I want to say, with a Jewish taste to it. So the Jew can understand it. That's why it's difficult for Gentiles to understand what it really is. So the Jews can understand James clearly. And they can see only grace in every verse. So, here he comes and he says, We must become holy in everything we do. Now, if you take the Bible and you say, the Bible says that I shall not commit adultery, or I shall not steal. The Bible says I shall not steal. And now I say, because the Bible says I shall not steal, now I don't steal. Are you holy if you don't steal? No, no. You're no different than a Muslim. Because his book also says... You shall not steal. And if he doesn't steal, is he then holy? Let me explain to you this way. The biggest kick sin can ever give you is when you don't sin. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The biggest kick. Listen, when you. I was there in Las Vegas. Man, it was so nice. I went into all the casinos there. I so said, when you go to Vegas and you don't go and see the awesome how they built those casinos there's something wrong with you you know it was so nice I was walking in, the, in that casino I said oh praise God you know look at how awesome they have built this stuff beautiful I, I don't say what is happening there my heart was sore when I saw the people there with the, the emptiness in their eyes you know and what they're doing there but I was riding those roller coasters that was nice you know, eating in the nicest restaurants there. It was nice. I enjoyed Las Vegas. And I preached the gospel there. Amen. I didn't go for a visit to see the place. I went and preached. And then the people took me to see the place. It was awesome. So now, if I, uh, if, if, if we come and we look at our holy works and what we do, and, and like uh, um, like I said there, I decide now I'm not going to, well, I'm, I'm going to gamble and I gamble while I'm there in this beautiful place gambling I can be having a wonderful emotion in my heart. Oh hallelujah. You know this is nice. Especially you win some you know yeah, this is nice. You feel a bit guilty but it's nice. It's like the one guy was. you know the this, this story about the pastor that was supposed to be in the church service to preach and then he told the told the guy um, he told his, the, 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 the second in charge the, the assistant pastor you preach today I've got an important meeting to go to he went and played golf you see so when he was playing golf the two angels were standing there it says the one angel said to the other angel man you see what this pastor is doing huh? lying not in church what are we going to do to him let's break his leg <laughs> the other one says no I've got a better plan man this is a par 5 And that pastor stands there. He hits it. He hits a hole in one. Then the one angel said to the other one, Say, hey man, what are you doing now? This guy deserves to be punished. He says, listen, who do you think is he going to tell? (laughs) He cannot testify. So while you play there, you know, you you get that little bit of a kick, but there's still a little bit of condemnation to it. But if you say, listen, I'm going to use my willpower, and I'm not going to sin. So you're still busy with sinning and no sinning. Actually, you're in sin, because you are trying to be righteous by not sinning. That's sin. That's the biggest sin there is. So now, so, so playing golf gives you a kick. But the moment you don't sin, that's the biggest kick sin can ever give you. You think a Muslim guy that doesn't sin, he's got laws and he doesn't sin, I tell you, he he gets an absolute satisfaction from that. That doesn't make him holy. He's not holy because he doesn't commit sins. The biggest lie ever told was, if you live holy, you are holy. That's what Satan told Adam and Eve. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do the right thing and you'll be like God. Doing the right thing doesn't make you like God. God, living in you, makes you like God. Doing the right thing doesn't make you like God. So here, I'm not against the right things. I say God will live in you and, and good things will manifest in you, but that's not, that doesn't make you who you are. You give definition to your works. Your works doesn't give definition to you. Amen. So here it says, Believe in Jesus. And then your works must now also become holy. Because your good works must could have been unholy works. Which is living right by willpower. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? I, I don't want to make it complicated. But listen man. L- listen, listen to what I'm saying here. It's going to bless you. Let's read it. Because so, 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 you must say, Beth, you're taking a fat chance. Because... You just read one scripture. Let's read the one in English now. It says, uh, It's 15. But as He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That conversation doesn't talk about talking. It talks all manner of life talks about works. The Afrikaans is a much more accurate translation. That word be there is the the Greek word which says to become or to come into being. So it says, let me read it as the Greek says it. It says, But as He which has called you is holy, so let, and to translate it, to get the sentence right there, so let all areas of your life and walk come into the very same holiness. So God is holy. He's made you holy through what Jesus Christ has done. You believe on Him. Now everything you do must come into this very same holiness. So it says, be holy in the same way God is holy. Now how is God holy? God's good deeds that He does. Why does He do good deeds? Why is God holy? Because there's ten commandments in heaven that tells God, do these things? No, no. God's holy works does not originate from obedience to commandments, but His holiness, the way He manifests holiness, is an outflow of His being. So He says, let holiness come into your actions in the same way that God finds holiness in His actions, which is an outflow of His being, not something you do by willpower. Okay, you say that, but you're taking a chance. Let's read verse 12. Verse 13. Listen to this. Wherefore. Now, if you read from verse 8 to 12, it talks about salvation. And waiting for the return of Jesus Christ where you'll receive your immortal body. Now from verse 13. Wherefore, because we are still waiting for the Lord to come, it says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation or the return of Jesus Christ. So there's a grace still to come. What is that grace? It's the empowerment of God that makes your mortal body immortal. Okay. Many people say use that verse out of context saying, you know, we're not under grace now. Grace is to come. Talks about the grace manifesting making your body new. You know, something you know, the things that, that, that Paul wrote and Peter wrote, you don't have to interpret it. You just need to understand English and just read it. That's what it says there. Then it says, "Gird up it says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what is loins? What did the Jewish people understand under loins? Loins is if you study the Greek word and uh, it, it, it's the procreative power. In other words, die vermoe om voort te plant. That's what it is. It's the ability to have children. So, there is loins in our mind. In our mind, if we gird up our loins from what we believe, there'll come fruit in our life. So it says, get the loins of your mind. Get your mind so together, that from this new belief, you'll find fruit in your life. Okay? Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace which is to be brought. Listen to verse 14. As obedient children, not fashioning yourself according to the former lust in your ignorance. Okay, so, what is girding up the loins of your mind? There was a former lust of ignorance, and now there is the girding up of your mind. <clears throat> what was the former lust of ignorance? Ignorance. The Bible, Paul says, that when I was under the law, all manner of lust started to work in me. So when he was under, you shall not covet. He found all manner of lust in him, because of his ignorance of the gospel of grace. Because the purpose of the law, according to Romans Uh, 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 5 verse 20, is not to bring forth holiness in your life. The purpose of the law is to make you sin. So that you can see, I need a Savior. And that you can see the inability of man to be like God by your own works. Okay. Now that was the former lust. The former lust was, there was a lust to be like God, therefore I'm going to take the law and works and work myself up to the to the level of God. Out of that many sins manifested in your life. Now he says you're good up the loin of your mind. Become holy in your work. How do I become holy in my work? I don't work the way I used to work under the law, by trying to obey commandments. But every area of my life becomes holy and saturated with the message of grace. A very good example is giving. You know, under the Old Testament, you, uh, uh, people tithe. The, you tithe, you give, you, you put the, the, the money in the gates so that you can be blessed by God. But now in the New Testament, that works of mine must now become holy. How will my work become holy as pertaining to the tithe? I will not tithe anymore, but I will find the revelation of grace that brings forth generosity, and out of generosity I give. So I've made my works holy. A good work is not a holy work. Doing something right doesn't make it holy. Holy means to be set apart for God. If your works are holy unto the cross, of Jesus Christ, it means everything I do is an outflow of the effect of the cross, not out of obligation to the law. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Amen. Amen. Is it moeilijk om to forstand? No. Did somebody want to ask something here? Do you understand? You know, I'm not here to preach a good message. I'm here to try and get people to understand this, this. Amen. So he says here, be holy as... It says, make your works holy. All our works must now become holy. Do you think it's a holy thing to circumcise your children? Now, if, if, if a child must be circumcised because of some, some problems, I can understand. But I'm talking about circumcision to be part of the kingdom of God. No ways, man. That's not holy. That's unholy. Do you think it's a holy thing to go and follow a Jewish feast to get God to bless you? It's the bigger sin. But to a Jew, it's holy. In the same way, if you love your children so that God can love you, you live with great love towards your children. That love towards your children is a sin, man. Because you do it so that God can love you. Make your works holy and don't live according to the former way that produced so much sin in your life because you were thinking, if I keep to all these commandments, then God will bless me. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son so that whosoever believes in Him shall be saved. And when you believe in Jesus, you are made righteous with the very righteousness of God. The word righteous means to weigh up to the very standard of God. Hallelujah. God was in heaven on the one side of the scale. And then there was only microscopic dust on the other side of the scale called human beings. And then those human beings tried to weigh up to the standard by obeying commandments. It's impossible. It is impossible for microscopic dust to weigh up to the weight of God. Then God said, how am I going to get that dust to weigh up to my standard? Because if that dust can weigh up to my standard, then I can bless them with eternal life. For you have to weigh up to the standard of God to have eternal life. Then God said, I'll stay in heaven, God the Father, I'll take my spirit, which is also God, and weighs up to the standard of God, and I will incarnate that into that microscopic dust. And the moment that happened, the dust weighed up to the standard of God, and that is the word righteousness. Hallelujah. So now, if God, in the light of what God has done already, your best work, to be righteous before God by works, is the biggest sin. Because you are sinning against the work of God. Belief in Christ, and having His Holy Spirit, will produce good works in you. I'm not saying good works are bad. But what I believe what he says here is don't walk according to the former conversation you had where you walked in lust. That talks about where Paul talks in Romans 7 said that by the law I knew lust And all these sins manifested because the good that I wanted to do, I could not do. And Paul writes in Romans 7, The commandment I thought that was unto life, which was the Ten Commandments, he says, I thought this was unto life, but as I tried to obey this, I found it was unto death. Proverbs says there's a way that looks right unto a man, but the end is death and destruction. And the law looks right, but the end is We always preach that about drinking alcohol. Man, everybody knows that the road leads to destruction. Even the one who drinks. But obeying, obeying, uh, uh, trying to to be saved by human efforts, my friend, I want to tell you, that is condemnation. So let's make our works holy. Now, let's go and explain this further in the book of James. The book of James. James chapter 2, verse 23. You might say, but Bertie, you know, it will be so difficult for me to interpret the Bible the way you interpret and to see these things. Because, let, let me tell you, the moment you receive the revelation of God did it all for me, and that is God's love towards me, you'll start to see that in every verse. That's the way it is. This Bible is written in the language of love, and the Bible says, "This is the love of God, <clears throat> that He did not impute our trespasses against us, but gave Himself as the propitiation for our sins." Okay, the sacrifice for that's the propitiation. The word sacrifice. <clears throat> so He gave Himself as the sacrifice for our sins. So what it means is that He forgave us by taking the system that declares us guilty out of the way. By fulfilling that. That is the love of God. Now this Bible is written, the Bible says God is love and God is the Word. So if you want to read the Word, you must have the the glasses on that talks about God took the you, you, humanism or human effort to be like God out of the way and made you righteous by His effort. That is the love of God. The Bible says here in His love that He loved us by giving us His Son. So if you want to read the Bible, the Bible says the Word of God in this book is the message of love. It is the message of what God has done by imputing righteousness to man free from His works. When you get that revelation and you start to read the Bible from that perspective, this book will start to make sense. Because that's what it says all the time in every chapter. That's all it says. Sometimes I come to church, I think, you know, what, what am I going to preach here? Because they know it all. They know it all. I mean, you know it all. There's nothing more I can teach you. If you know that Jesus Christ came as a human being, represented you, took away the law system, brought righteousness as a free gift, and by faith you've got access into that, waiting for the return of Jesus, and if you're not righteous by your works, I mean, I cannot teach you anything more. That's all I know. I can just explain that in different verses, but, but that's all I know. I don't know anything else than that. Amen. You say, Bathy, that's not true. It is. That's all I know. Listen to James chapter 2 here. It says here, But Abraham our father, uh, verse 20, it says, But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See, people say, You see, there you see that you get faith and works. Wasn't Abraham justified by works? See there how faith wrought with his works, and how faith worked with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And as the scripture uh, scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now, I mean, hallelujah. There you see, Beth, your whole message is now all over. <laughs> and uh, that it, it, was, it was very good and so, but the thank you for the balance. <laughs> Let me explain this verse. Amen. Let me explain this verse. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with respect to persons. Now what does that mean? To who is he writing in James? James chapter 1. James 1 verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So who is it written to? The 12 tribes that are scattered abroad. It was written to the Jewish people. So if you, if you, if a Jew had respect to persons, what does that mean? It means he was, and, and now these were believers. The context here is people that believe in Jesus. Twelve tribes that got scattered and believers in these twelve tribes that were scattered. Okay? Now he says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these were believers in Christ that were scattered with respect to persons. Now, when when a Jew had respect to persons, what does he mean? It means he honors Jews and not Gentiles. So what does it mean? He's getting back under the law. Okay. So, they believe in Jesus, but their works is the works of the law they believe in Jesus but they don't have the works of their faith they live by the works of the law so now he comes and says why do you honor the rich and you tell the poor man to just sit here at my feet so you read on there he says man that is not right isn't it the rich that put you in jail he says yeah it's the rich He says, you see, you honour men. Why why did they honour the rich, the Jewish people? Because the law honoured the rich. And it says that if you obey, then you'll be blessed. And the Jewish people, especially the Pharisees, they believe that if you're qualified by the law, then you'll be made immortal one day. Have eternal life. And then the, the seal, knowing that you are qualified and that you will have it, is prosperity. Because if you obey Deuteronomy 28 verse 1 to 3 and you are blessed, it means you are obeying all the commands and you will qualify. So now they were thinking God honors those rich people, you know, because they are obeying all the scriptures. God will honor them with eternal life. So we are honoring the rich. So they were getting into the back into the law system completely. It says, are you then partial in yourselves and are you become judges with evil thoughts? He says, here you know, all of a sudden you judge people. Where the Paul says clearly that we don't judge any man according to the flesh anymore. But here these people become full of the law. He says, hearken my beloved brethren. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And he comes and he explains a lot of things here. Um, let's go to um, verse 10. Now he, he quotes the 10 commandments here. He says, for whosoever... Let's read, sorry, verse um, 6. But you have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judges' seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you were called? If you fulfill the. So here they were honoring the rich that blaspheme the worthy name. Who were they? They were the rich Jews that were against Jesus. They were honoring them again. So, for a Christian Jew to honor that person, what do you have to do? You've got to go back to the law. So, they were now starting to deny Jesus and mix the gospel of grace with the law. So, they believed in Jesus, but their works were the works of the law. If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well. So now he comes and he he takes out the law and teaches them from the law. He says, but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as a transgressor. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So he says to them, listen guys, you didn't love. You guys are going back to the law now. You broke one law. So if you break the law, you are guilty of the whole law. Now listen to what he says here. Because they understood the law. It says, you see, the law says this, so if you do this, you are breaking the law. You are going back to the law, you are breaking the law. It says, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery, um, yet you kill, you are become a transgressor of the law. Now, listen to verse 12. This is the key verse so speak ye then and so do as they that shall be judged not by the law but by the law of liberty so there's two laws the law of moses and the law of liberty he said to them listen look at the law this normal law if you break the law you are guilty to the law now here's the law of liberty don't break the law of liberty do the works the law of liberty command the the works of the law of liberty is to get the law of Ten Commandments to be blessed out of your life. They weren't work they didn't have faith in Jesus plus works. They believed in Jesus and still stood under the law. So he said faith in Jesus and still standing under the law means nothing. Your faith doesn't have works. So if you believe, the justification of life is to say, I am now free of that old system. And I stand under Jesus. Let's give you a practical example. Uh, um, If you've got faith with works, you will say, I believe in Jesus, or faith with no works. Faith with no works. I believe in Jesus, but I circumcise my children to be part of the kingdom of God. That is the context, that's a true, true context of James. James. He says, it is as dead as telling somebody outside that is cold, telling him, be warm, without giving him something. Faith, saying I believe in Jesus, and still walking under the law, is as good as not even believing. When you say you believe in Christ, you get rid of the works by, you make your, your works holy by saying my works will be an outflow of the revelation of the new man that I am in Christ and it is not mere human willpower to obey old commandments of a law system. That is what James speaks of there. It's very difficult to apply it in our Gentile context because the only examples I can use is stuff like circumcision, going to the temple, sacrificing animals. Because what these people were doing is they were starting to sacrifice animals again. Now it says, if you believe in Jesus, but you still sacrifice animals, my goodness, your faith is dead. It means nothing. Your faith became an unfaith, an unbelief. Paul said exactly what James said there. He said, if you be circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Because you don't have faith with works. The works is to say, I stand in the gospel of grace, and thereby I live. That's the works. Many times we say, I believe in Jesus, but I do the works of the law. That's not what he's saying there. The Bible says, we must be doers of the word. James chapter 1 verse 21, rebuking them. They weren't doers of the word, they were doers of the law. There's a difference between the law and the word. The Bible says in these last days, He spoke to us through His Son. The word towards man is the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the Word. Be doers of the Word. How are we doers of the Word? According to James 1 verse 21. You look into the law where you have been perfectly liberated, made holy, free from your works, and you remember what you see. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. So, let me end off with this. Making your works holy. Holy is not trying to obey the law, but is to say that my works will originate out of grace and making sure I don't do what I do from the basis of willpower, but a revelation of Christ, Christ living in me. Hallelujah. Israel is not a special people because of their flesh, they're special and as special as us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you think they were special in their flesh, the way they were special can never be compared to what we have today and what they have today. But they ignorantly live in the old. So let's preach the truth to them. And then the last thing I talked about here is the works, justification by works is we have been justified to walk in the action and say, I shall not. Talking about Jewish people. Jewish people have been justified by saying, In their work, saying, I step away from the law system. Abraham was justified by sacrificing his son. He used that as as, as a type and a shadow, saying to them, "You you are just in sacrificing this law system. It's a just thing. It's not a sinful thing. He sacrificed that and was called the friend of God. So, they were thinking, if I sacrifice this law system, I will be called the enemy of God. He says, No, no, if you do this, if this is your work according to your faith, you're the friend of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Now maybe you are here for the very first time, and I would like to pray for you, you know, and agree with you. Maybe you say, Bafter, you know, this good news, I've never heard it. I never know this. And I want to I want to just receive this salvation today. The Bible says that Jesus came unto His own, but His own received Him not. So there is something in the Bible like receiving. We can never talk that away. That is in the Bible. (coughs) It is not an automatic thing. Jesus did it all for free, but He honors His design of man, which, which is will. He gave each one of us a will. Maybe you've never received this good news and never received Jesus. I know this is a church, but I just want to give you the opportunity. And I'm not going to call you forward. I would just like to pray with you. If you say, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior, I make Him my Lord, just put up your hand, please. I'd like to pray with you. This is for the first time. Is there anybody? Okay. Thank you. Let's just pray together then. Father, I want to pray for people here. I thank You for the Holy Spirit that is so present in great love, loving people, caring for people, Now, you've come here maybe with great needs in your heart. I want to tell you that this master plan that I've just been preaching about and try to explain to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, the God who designed all of this had you in mind. You are God's address. If you want to know where does God live, you are God's address. You're God's address. He doesn't live in any other place. He lives inside you by the Holy Spirit. Amen. You are special to Him. Your every need is known to God. All you must do is just ma- just speak and make your need known. Not that God can know, but that you can know God knows. Hallelujah! I want to tell you that there is blessing for every one of us. He will bless you with a gift of contentment. From contentment, He wisdom comes on how to make decisions. He blesses you with healing. And, and, and whatever you need, He's a God that loves us. He's a God that cares for us. You don't have to work 20, 20 things to get God to move on your behalf. Faith is not something you do to get God to do something for you. Faith isn't a persuasion that comes to your heart when you realize what He has done. He brings you peace. He brings you joy. He blesses your family. Hallelujah. Thank You, Father. We are, our blessing is defined in the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen.